Yo, family, what's going on? What's going down? What's shaking? Welcome to the end of 2017. This is Jonathan Soul speaking with you now. Uh, family, on my program, JonathanSoul.com, I interview artists. I interview writers. I interview creators. African-Americans, African-Caribbean, Africans from the continent. You know what I mean? I got calls into Mars. Wherever I can find black people. That's what I'm interviewing. I mean, and I specifically focus on uh, folk in like sci-fi, comics, that kind of thing. And the, and the reason why it's so intriguing, because let's face it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, nerd kind of content out there. But what I specifically key in, I don't key in on nerd culture and I don't do that kind of shit. I don't do nothing. All I focus on, why? Because the artist has a particular worldview that I find interesting. 20% of my program is talking about their work. Of course, if I'm talking to, you know, somebody like the great Mishimbo, uh, Mishindo Kumba, right? The uh, fine artist and conceptual philosopher type person. Of course, you know, we're going to talk about his paintings and, and his artwork and everything. Collaboration he's done, blah, blah, blah. But I want to find out what's, uh, what, what other things are ticking in there. If I talk to somebody like uh, Ashley Wood, a terrific uh, illustrator who uh, is known right now for uh, that little elf kind of series. Uh, uh, Nio uh, Ni I won't say Naomi. Uh, Niobe, She is Life, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. You know, of course, we're going to talk about the artwork and how she got there. But I want to know what else is ticking. You know, if you follow her, she posts like little nature stuff early in the morning. You know that there's some stillness. There's some meditation. There's some. There's some other things ticking in there. And so that's what I focused on. So 80% of the program is talking about the person as a human being getting there, their, their worldview. So, of course, 2017, Trump is number 45. Ask about Trump. So right now, uh, I'm going to play you a little clip from a program I did about this, uh, this exhibit called AIM. It was like uh, destroy, transform, create, basically taking toys and using them to make political statements about it. So, uh, Mashindo Kumba, you know, and uh, and Andre uh, Leroy Davis, uh, we talked to those guys, you know, everybody really. And so they spin off on Trump. Let's listen. The next presidential candidate gonna be Snapchatting. The next one is gonna be on World Star. I mean, the bar is being set so low. You, you follow me? That's well, because the bar was set so high by a man yeah. whose skin is brown. Right. And it yeah. threw the country's sense of itself off. And mm -hmm. it shows how deeply woven the breach is. Hmm. Because even though the president, Obama was the president who was like many other presidents. He did oh. drone attacks and all of that. Yep. But there's a level of poise in some of the other things that he did. Because they're all going to kill innocent people. Yeah. Right. We need to get yeah. that straight. Right. However, there are things that politics can do for the body politic mm -hmm. that could actually be positive. And what that brother's presence did hurt the country because it felt like it was losing its power, which is the power to destroy. Because mm. that's not supposed to happen in a lot of people's minds. It's his ascent. Now, he's the only president that I know of in the 20th century that the entire world celebrated that's true yeah you thought jesus came back See, but 
but Trump also, came behind it, that it, with his, excuse me, real quick, with his ego. And yeah. that hurt him. And I think Trump, I don't really look at Trump. I look at Trump as a symbol of something. Right. Trump is a symbol of white male old money and white male old control. And mm-hmm. you can see how destructive, how negative, how lack, how, how non-empathetic or unempathetic they are. Mm. But I also I also see Trump as uh, continuing the American tradition of erasing the merits and positive pieces that uh, blacks have put into anything. Because as soon as he comes in, now he's trying to erase all of the positives and steps that Obama placed. Uh, so it's just the American way of erasing blacks from history. So if you can erase all of these steps that Obama has created, you know, tradition. The American mm. way. Okay, so you guys can see a little bit of the energy that I'm putting down. And of course, uh, toward the end of last year, I want to put this in because it's relevant. I talked to a, a terrific novelist um, by the name of uh, Cerise Rennie Murphy. Cerise Rennie Murphy. And uh, not only uh, did she, uh, is she creating this terrific series, but she kind of I feel like I got the scoop. I'm sure she talked about it to other people. But um, when I first interviewed in 2016, she talked about, hey, I'm working on this project where it's going to be this kind of hub for not only the sci-fi comic book creator type people, you know, film and the whole bit, uh, toys, everything, but also the audience. You know, her idea was to kind of create the Comic-Con experience online. And so she broke that on. I feel like she broke it on my show. If I'm wrong, please correct me, uh, Cerise. But yeah, so so of course I asked her about Trump, and she went a whole different way. She talked about the children. She talked about the fact that the children was paying attention to the 2016 presidential elections. Let's listen. My son jumps in the car and goes. Mommy, Trump is up in the polls. Wow. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what what is happening? I mean, I hadn't said a single word about it. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, we were talking about it at summer camp. And it, it was just fascinating to me that, you know, children, there's so much wisdom in children. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to me that these six, seven, and eight-year-olds are sitting around talking about politics and somehow they might not know a lot, but they know that this affects them. They know mm. that it's important. And I thought that was just so profound. So it, what ended up happening is we had a fantastic conversation uh-huh. around what it means to poll, because, of course, he was eight and really right. had no idea right, right. what it meant to poll, how you tell whether or not a poll is relevant, what a standard deviation of error is, mm-hmm. you know, just things that growing up, we knew, I remember as a kid watching the news with my parents and whenever they announced the results of a poll, a couple of things were always there. First and foremost, they told you what the size of the sample of people they surveyed was, right. which you almost never hear now. Mm-hmm. Second thing they told you whoa, was- Whoa, whoa, stand- whoa, whoa, that's a good point. That's a yeah. very good point. About- Back in the day, they would tell you exactly so many people- yeah, they just give you the stats. They don't tell. Oh, wow. That's right. It's amazing. You know, my friend and I talk about the difference between data and information. Mm-hmm. Data is just a random fact that mm-hmm. may or may not be related to the next fact that you say after it. Mm-hmm. Information is analysis and summary. 
Mm. And the, one of the reasons why I stopped watching the news in 2009, one of the wow. reasons why I stopped is because I realized I was not getting any information. Mm-hmm. I was getting a lot of data that wasn't necessary, necessarily synthesized into something actionable or even thought worthy. Mm-hmm. But I was getting a lot of facts. And then what I get is an opinion on the data, not, not necessarily facts even. I was getting data and then an opinion on the data. Mm-hmm. No verification whether or not the data was actually fact. Mm-hmm. No necessarily logical sort of linking of data to even make a fact that you could then draw a conclusion on. Mm-hmm. None of that was happening. Wow. And so I realized that I was being diseducated instead of informed. You know what I mean? And so I just started, I I just dropped that. And now I get my news through reading. If I hear about something, I'll hear a tweet or someone will. Yeah, yeah, she's a sweetheart. So you kind of understand where I'm going. When I was a kid, I used to love 2020. You guys ever see that that 2020? Or 60 Minutes, some of y'all might be familiar. Well, I kind of fancy myself like 60 Minutes of, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, African, you know, creative content kind of vibration. If you want to find out what the artist is really about, you tune in to JonathanSoul.com. If you're in the nerd culture, you want to find out, you know, about dating and you want to find out about, I don't know, uh, what parties they're going to and what DC or Marvel books, then that's not, this is not the spot. But if you want to key in on the root, after DC and Marvel and all that shit burn out, if you want to find out about the root of the African creative conscious when it when it when it comes across that fantasy sci-fi vibration, this is where you go. All right, family. So, anyways, let's move on. Of course, you know a lot of us first heard about Bitcoin heavy in 2017. You know, it's been going up and down, up and down. As a matter of fact, um, I interviewed this brother uh, by the name of uh, Skinner Sinclair, right? And of course, I had to make the sci- the, the X Files joke, you know what I mean? <laughs> With the, he he totally didn't understand. And it's, oh, okay, ha <laughs> ha, that's funny. But anyway, so uh, so Skinner Sinclair, uh, and uh, he he uh, and he started a company, uh, co-founded a company. They have a Bitcoin wallet. And from that wallet, you're able to put your Bitcoins there and then you can go to an exchange and buy more and the whole bit. And so, of course, you know, he put a different spin on it because he's really trying to push the cryptocurrency in the African-American community. And uh, he was gracious enough to allow me to interview him while he was having dinner. So uh, you hear some clinking in the background. That's why. All right, family, let's check it out as as we give just a little snippet of uh, his perspective on Bitcoin and the African, because he, he, you know, he talked about remittances in the motherland and the whole bit. Uh, let's take a listen. So there are definitely more. But I, I tell people, especially in the, the black community, mm-hmm. we're talking about buying black and banking black. It's, it'd be good that we utilize uh, a, a Bitcoin strategy, too. You know, you know, accept Bitcoin. One of the powerful things about Bitcoin, you're selling something. You know, you don't have all those fees that. Uh, American Express takes out your 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 transactions or PayPal. Mm-hmm. All that money comes straight to you. You don't have to split it with anybody. Mm. So, and then there's no chargeback. Once a, a Bitcoin transaction is is uh, confirmed, it's done. There's mm-hmm. no no way somebody I have a friend that has a streaming uh, 
African American brother who does uh, streams live concerts. He's got a, uh, a Rick Ross concert coming up, and one of the things they are looking at is using Bitcoin because sometimes people use download the service, and then after they watch the whole Rick Ross show, they didn't say, "Oh, uh, my my child stole my credit card." Yeah, you can bring it out now. So it, it, it's one of those things where we tell people. You know, don't, you know, there's a lot of utility in this Bitcoin thing, too. So don't mm-hmm. just get it for a store of value. It's a great p- payment platform uh, that you can use to, you know, enhance what you already are doing. OK. All right. All right. So I get a little bit of sense of it. You know, so we cover a range of different topics. It's, now, he's not, you know, sci fi whatever, but it's tech technology. And to me, the only difference between technology and sci-fi is time. T-I-M-E, time. When I was little, there was a, 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 a strip in the newspaper called Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy had a watch uh, radio where he would talk to his guys, you know, on the phone. He'd pull back his sleeve, you know, breaker, breaker, one, nine, blah, 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 whatever. And we thought that was fantasy. And that was in the 70s when I was a kid. And then... You know, Casio came out with something, you know, a little watch, I think, in the 80s. And that didn't really pop off. And then, of course, an Apple Watch came out. So it's just time. So if I find something that I think is going to be heavy, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to I'm going to talk about it. So anyway, family, so we go on from here and uh, the next uh, little snippet. So, you know, not only were there a lot of interesting things in terms of politics, in terms of technology, of course, we lost a lot of people. And uh, I try to keep my show upbeat and everything, but we did lose some people. And one person who uh, made transition to an ancestor, uh, I was unaware of his impact, not only just to young people in general, but a lot of young people in the African-American uh, community. Um, I'm reading this tweet by a, a beautiful uh, illustrator I follow uh, named Ashley Woods. And um, she's uh, she like I said in the earlier, I think I said earlier, uh, depending on what take this is, <laughs> she uh, illustrates uh, this like elf kind of, uh, you know, comic uh, called uh, uh, no Niobe. She is life on Stranger Comics. She also does some work for, um, I think, what's the uh, Tomb Raider? Uh, I think she does some work there and so forth. She, she, she's, she's really blowing up. Anyway, uh, I saw a tweet from her one morning, and it said something about Chester Bennington passed. And I was like, who is Chester Bennington? It sounded familiar. And then my daughter came out of her bedroom crying. And I was like, what's wrong, baby? And it was the same thing. And I was like, who the hell is Chester Bennington? And then she told me Linkin Park. And I was like, oh, man, you know, because I didn't. I wasn't. The only thing I knew about Linkin Park was when Jay Z did a collab, uh, you know, which wasn't her favorite. But anyway, so sometimes the show can get heavy. Is my point, right? So we're going to take a little dip into the baseline, and let's listen to Ashley. She talks about the impact that Chester had on her life. I was reading your tweet about the brother who passed uh, from Linkin Park around the same time my daughter comes out the bedroom crying, and I just yeah. didn't realize. How um, uh, this brother Bennington, right? Chester Bennington? Yep. I didn't realize how much he affected people. 
Can you talk a little bit about what his music meant to you? Yeah, um, I began listening to Linkin Park when I was um, 17 or 18. So it was Mm -hmm. like right before I came out of college. I mean, excuse me, high school. And I grew up, oh, okay, I don't want to, how do I tell this story without getting too personal? Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up as an outcast, and I know what it's like to be a scapegoat, and I know what it's like to be uh, misunderstood because, uh, you, you know, a lot people like to put each other in the box mm-hmm. and when you're when you don't fit into those boxes it doesn't matter how sincere or true you're trying to be uh sometimes you know people can't their their perceptions don't extend beyond themselves you sure. know um, so so yeah so his music i feel like they speak on narcissism a lot. We have a lot of narcissism in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, that in itself, that that topic, narcissism, has a lot of layers. So, you know, I would encourage people to look into that online for themselves. Mm-hmm. But uh, I dealt with that growing up within my family unit, and mm-hmm. also uh, you know, I've seen it in different uh, communities I was a part of, and. You know, Chester, I feel like his lyrics hit those issues spot on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, from every angle, you know, from the anger, um, also from the forgiveness, you know, side of you. Mm-hmm. Like, you get to, you, get, you got to see him work through all of those emotions, you know, so it wasn't really one dimensional. I remember during that time, um, 10 plus years ago, when Lincoln Park was like more so at the height of their their career, mm-hmm. people would sometimes try to like give them a, a, a hard time, saying, "Oh, that's emo music," or, um, you know, he's he's always whining. You know, they'll just, you know, look at it from a one dimensional point of view. You know, so now it's kind of interesting. You know, after you know what happened with Chester's, it's interesting seeing like the overflow of love and you know all of that. Yeah, family. I mean, uh, it gets real personal sometimes. And, uh, you know, I mean, artists can touch us in very deep, profound ways. You know, even in the sci-fi and the fantasy genre, I mean, I don't think my, you know, there's a little joke about, you know, the children never see me cry, you know, kind of thing. Except that one time, uh, it wasn't really crying, uh, it was this movie that we were watching. It's my favorite movies. And this kid was climbing up a ladder and the girl fell. It was dusty in the room and the wind was blowing. You, you follow me? So that doesn't count as a cry. And then it was that time when I went to go see After Earth uh, with my with my kids, all of them. And, uh, you know, when, you know, Will Smith was saved by his son and everything. You know what I mean? Again, dusty in the theater and there was a breeze. So, yeah, I've never really... But the point is, sometimes you follow me, you know, artists can touch us in a very profound way. And so we're going to stay, you know, in the deep waters a little bit. And um, there's a tremendous intellect, um, you know, by the name of Chuck Collins, somebody who produces, among other things, uh, this web series. And you can get it in print called Bounce. And it's basically, you know, the kind of fictionalized tale of a, a bouncer. Uh, in New York City, and it has all these, you know, terrific, like, Dragon Ball Z influences and all this philosophy. The brother's a thinker. You know, this is like a, 
this is like a thinking man's Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like mix Calvin and Hobbes with some alcohol and, and, and a couple of worn philosophy books. Uh, and this is what you get. And uh, with me, uh, I, I feel like every artist has a, has a muse, meaning there's a particular art where you've put in enough work and the quote unquote, you know, you can just flow in it. And to me, the interview is that it's my medium. And so I'm flowing and uh, and then I'm asking him, OK, a bouncer, he's dealing with conflict. Chuck, what about police brutality? Can we talk about police brutality? And that got heavy. Let's listen. What you said as far as the cops are concerned, this is what made me lose respect for a lot of law enforcement is because you get stuck in a situation with someone who doesn't have a firearm. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you do is pull out yours. As opposed to actually talking the situation down. Mm -hmm. Us as bouncers are bare. We have no firearm unless you're licensed to carry, which you don't, you have to go through a lot in New York State to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not supposed to carry weapons, although, you know, there are loopholes. However, when it comes from a legal standpoint, we can't have any of that. We don't have a bulletproof vest. We don't even have a stab proof vest. We are in the middle of the fray. Wow. So for you to sit here and, and we're able to calm a situation down, mm-hmm. or you're able to talk to several big dudes from not beating up that one dude or trying to sexually assault the chick in the corner or whatever, and you have to deal with that head on, but yet you got cops coming out here trying to like... You know, saying, oh, well, I was scared for my life. Really, dude? The person had no no yeah. weapons or whatever, or yeah. even if they did, yeah. you got five other officers behind you? Are you crazy? Yeah. Don't give me. That's an excuse and a half. And it's not to say that these dudes don't put their lives on the line when they, when they got that badge. But, you know, that, what cops represent in this country is a whole other discussion and podcast. So that... You know, that's its own conversation. But as far as what they are trained to do, it it makes me think that are you trained to actually de-escalate a situation mm-hmm. or are you trained to protect the interests of those that you work for by any means necessary? Mm. And the first means is to take you down. So it, 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 it paints a picture of what law enforcement's real role is, right. in my opinion. Um, but yeah, and, and working as a bouncer for 10 years and to see what I've had to deal with, with no weapon, no backup, I've had to work at bars by myself with 200 people capacity. God damn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It happens. And even if I did work with another guy, that's two, uh, let's say maybe mm-hmm. 20 of them get out of place. That's two mm-hmm. versus 20, let alone one. So as you can see, it gets really heavy. And uh, yeah, so that wasn't even, you know, the heaviest part of the conversation. I mean, we, we went deep into it. Uh, he, he told some incredible stories. Go to JonathanSoul.com. Just look up Chuck Collins uh, or Bounce, and then you'll, you'll find the interview. And uh, we went into other places, too. He's worked in the, you know, in the industry and in different, you know, comic book industry and, and all this other kind of stuff. The people that I'm talking to are well-heeled in their particular profession. 
So let's move on. So, you know, it gets heavy sometimes and I'm not going to, there was a, a conversation about gun control. You know, I got into with the, with the artist, uh, a brother named uh, Frank Jordan. He does this comic uh, called Company Man. And it's kind of like a, it kind of feels like Doonesbury, if y'all remember that comic from back in the, you know, let's just talk, let's talk to, uh, let's talk to uh, my mans and them, uh, Frank Jordan real quick. And then we're going to go light and then we're going to get out of here. All right. Uh, let's see. Gun control and Frank Jordan. Well, I don't, I don't think we should take, take folks uh, means of defending themselves away. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you can you can arm yourself with a, a pistol. You can arm yourself with a rifle. What do you need multiple round uh, weapon for? I mean, that's a weapon that's just for killing. That's all it's for. There's no peace in that. Mm-hmm. It's all for killing. And I think that um, guns should be. Let's see. I think guns should be monitored like 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 a car like like your license. Mm-hmm. I think there should be some kind of, like I said, mental health screening every year for anybody that owns a, a, a multi-round weapon. Okay. And if you're going to own this type of weapon, you are going to be scrutinized hard every, I would say not even a year, every six months, you're going to be scrutinized hard. I mean, that's 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 just me. I think I think that would definitely cut down on it. I mean, I mean that can, sounds reasonable. I mean, that sounds yeah, reasonable. Uh, right. It, yeah. And you you can you can definitely you can definitely catch anything that's going to come down a pike with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, also also when people and also tax it, tax it like really high mm-hmm. if you're going to own those type of weapons. So I think you guys get the gist of, of, of what we're talking about. I mean, I talk about the monkey wrench. You say, what's the monkey wrench? You guys ever heard of Jack Johnson? Okay, some of you have, some of you haven't. Jack Johnson was like one of the world's best uh, boxers, heavyweight, American uh, heavyweight champion back in the day when he used to fight like 100 rounds, right? You know, with very little padding and stuff. One, You know, back when... You think it's hard to be black now. Woo! It was really hard to be black back then. And so what people don't realize is that Jack Johnson, he was like an inventor and he created the wrench. Yeah, the wrench. He created, he designed it, patented the whole bit. And of course, ignorant devils, you know what I mean? Started calling it monkey wrench because, you know, they like to try to demean uh, you know, black people about monkey and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, whatever, that's just them. That's their issue. That's their handicap. And so uh, if I were to interview Jack Johnson, I would interview him about the monkey wrench for 80% of the conversation, right? And then 20% I talk about boxing. So I talk about the monkey wrench if you, if you get the point. All right, so let's move on. Let's, we're going to take it up a little notch. Of course, um, I talk about comics and so forth. And then there was one conversation with Jay Kelly, uh, a man I admire who um, created this character uh, called the brother, you know, partly based on his father. Uh, my interpretation of the brother is a he's like a mix of Malcolm X and Doctor Who. This uh, he, he kind of goes into this uh, story about one of the uh, stories he wrote about the character visiting Harry Tubman. And, you know, a lot of us who know anything about history, 
American history knows that Harriet Tubman was uh, an enslaved African person who escaped, and then she came back and helped other people escape. And But there was other things that she did, things I wasn't aware of. And, uh, of course, Jay was kind enough to hit me in the audience to this stuff. Let's take a listen. And, uh, and that's how it came about. And, and it was a little bit at a time. Like, initially, I wrote a short story about the brother. The brother meets up with Harriet Tubman. You know, and she meets Harry mm-hmm. Tubman on her on her uh, her deathbed. It's a fictional story, obviously. Okay. And she's uh, yeah. uh, uh, brokenhearted over the fact that she never had any biological children. And the brother basically takes her um, through the future to show her her impact that she had. A lot of people don't know Harry Tubman was not just a, a underground railroad. She's a spy for the Union. You know, she was an advocate for mm-hmm. women and, and for the elderly. She had one of the first nursing homes. Uh, uh, that was all Harriet Tubman. You know, and... and oh, wow. I mean, Yeah, know Harriet Tubman, I mean, it, you knew about she, she freed 300 people, but, you know, she did a lot more than that. She mm-hmm. didn't just sit down on the laurels after slavery was on, after it was abolished. She continued to be an advocate for humanity. She pretty much... Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman was pretty much what you would call a modern sense of morality. Yeah, so that was a groovy little conversation. I do most of my interviews via Skype. And so sometimes the quality, the audio quality can vary, you know, from 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 interview to interview. So thanks for you guys patience as the technology bumps up. But of course, like I said, that 20 percent, I do talk about comics. I do talk about the novel, the sci fi novels. I've had artists uh, on here who are actors, uh, filmmakers, um, sci fi writers, mystery writers. Uh, and never forget the wonderful interview I had with uh, Kai Leakes who uh, did this series, Sin Eaters. And it's it's a new genre I haven't heard of called paranormal romance. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation. And, uh, you know, this this show is a is a galactic show. You know, uh, not only do I talk to people in, you know, America, Canada, uh, Trinidad and Tobago. It's funny. I had a uh, conversation with uh, some folks from Nigeria uh, recently and uh, comics are popping over there. And uh, but it's a beautiful cross section between technology, uh, particularly mobile technology and comics. Uh, real quick, let's listen. Just give me a little, you know, summary of how uh, the comic scene, you know, started becoming strong in uh, in West Africa. I'm saying Nigeria and uh, you guys involvement in it. Oh, yeah, you know, um, to be honest with you, it all started when Comic Republic decided to come out with digital comics. Okay. You know, the traditional way before was to come out with printed comics. But the problem with printed comics is that it couldn't reach so many people. Mm-hmm. And then Comic Republic came out with this revolutionary new form of, okay, let's release digital comics. And everybody thought we were crazy because mm-hmm. we're like, ah, if you make print, it's not going to sell. Right. But like, we needed to reach an international audience. And then we started with, you know, digital comics. And just like that, you know, I've had people, I've had um, people from other comic places say that we inspired them to come into the business because they never really thought about it. You know, people were weighed down with cost of printing and trying to reach so many people. And then, you know, we also we proved that even from Nigeria, we could make quality comics. And that, that was another thing. People never um, associated good comics with us. You know, we started out average, but right now we're pretty good at what we're doing. And so we inspired a new generation. And now we have, you know, I would say that we proudly lead a bunch of people um, who are making strong comics, making making black people proud all around the world. 
Yeah, that was uh, uh, Mr. Martin from the Comic Republic. First name, uh, Jide, I think, J-I-D-E. Pardon me, brother, if I messed up the name. But yeah, so I've interviewed a couple of different folks. Um, uh, uh, Kugali is another uh, outfit over in Nigeria. Nigeria is really popping with the comics. Uh, all homespun content, incredible stuff. Uh, yeah, Kagali.com, thecomicrepublic.com. Uh, not only will you find comics, um, you'll find also like the, 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 the film artists. There's this one film that I found out about, uh, about uh, Shango, right? And, uh, and you know, they did this animation thing and all the kind of CGI stuff with the, with the dots on the face and the motion detection that you would expect like in Lord of the Rings with the Gollum character. They doing that stuff with desktops and look like a little YMCA room or something. It's like, are you serious? But when you look at the product, it was top quality. It was amazing. So, yeah. So, yeah, we definitely talk about comics. We're talking about the global uh, creative uh, revolution that's happening in the global African community. It is popping. These folks are doing to comics what uh, black people in America did to dance music in the late 70s, early 80s. In other words, hip-hop. You know, hip-hop took dance music, right, and soul music and everything, and it, and it, and it reworked it, re-engineered it into something new. And that's what these folk are doing. They're just not making black Superman and black Wonder Woman. You know what I mean? They're taking, you know, parts of the culture, subtleties, nuances, and spinning them up into a new myth, a new fiction, and that's what I want to. That's what I want to catalog. And of course, I always want to show you the minds behind the talent. Listen, family, I hope 2017 has been good to you, and I hope 2018 will be better. This is Jonathan Soul. Follow me on Twitter, uh, J O H N A T H A N S O U L on Twitter, JonathanSoul.com. Love you guys. Hope all your dreams come true. Support each other. Peace.